continue in our study of divine design, God's church in the earth. Now, there are, among the Galapagos Islands in Ecuador, among some of these islands, there are communities where, from the youngest to the oldest, everyone knows how to handle a boat. Here in America, we often try to keep our kids away from boats until they're old enough. There in the Galapagos Islands, they try to get their kids into the water and into the boats as early as possible because there is no other way to get around. And so, they make sure that again, from the youngest to the very oldest, Men, women, children, everyone knows how to handle a boat for safety reasons, but also for community building. You can't get anywhere. You can't go to school. You can't go to work. You can't be with your friends. But also to contribute to the overall health and strength of their culture. I believe that this is a revelation of God's intention even for his church. From the youngest to the oldest, I believe that it's God's desire and intention that everyone in the church knows how to handle the word. Now certainly a four-year-old is not going to handle the word like a 40-year-old, or at least he shouldn't. 40-year-old is who I'm talking to. But everyone in the kingdom, everyone in the church should know how for safety reasons, for a community, for for doing the work. We should all know how to handle the name of Jesus Christ. How do we handle the blood? How do we handle the anointing? How do we handle the gifts that God has stewarded to our lives? These should not be things that we discover way off into our adult life, having never maximized their benefits and design the way that God has created us to thrive and bear fruit in his church. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. We have to acknowledge who said that. It wasn't just a good man, a politician, a good businessman, a good coach, even a good friend or a good brother. The man who made this declaration, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to resist the onslaught of the righteous is none other than the Son of God himself, Jesus the Christ. You say, why are you bringing all of that to emphasis? Because we can trust who made that promise. And he's going to do it with me or without me. Now that's startling, but it's important as we go along because no one can include you in the church except he who is building it. 
as much as everyone wants you to be included, we can't make that happen for you. As much as your own mother and your own father would encourage you, be a part of the church. Be a part of what Jesus is building. It's the only thing being built in the earth today that's going to last beyond the grave. And the only one who can include you in that work, it's not your pastor. If I could do it, I would do it. I want everyone to be saved. But there's only one that can include you. It's not the prophet. I don't care how many prophetic meetings you get to and how many evangelists lay their hands on your head and how many words from different people that you get. It doesn't matter. At the end, there's only one man who could add you and include you in this eternal work. He himself calls his church in the earth, and that is the one who is building it, Jesus Christ. And may I say this, I say this respectfully to all of the religions and to all of the leaders in the body of Christ and to all well-intended Christians, young and old. Here's what we must understand. When Jesus is building his church, he is not looking for suggestions. In other words, you can't come to the architect and builder of galaxies and say, I think I know how you should build your church and I've got a few ideas if you'd like to consider them. He's not open to suggestions. He's got his way of doing things and the best thing that we can do for the kingdom, for our world, and certainly for our place in the church is learn his ways and cooperate. I remember as a kid, walking in and around construction sites, whether it was summertime or on the way to school or what, and me and my pals had come upon a building that was being built. One time I remember uh, where we lived close by in Riverside, we came upon a construction site of a hospital. Amazing. Now, as a kid, probably even more interesting and more amazing than when you drive by that at 45, 50 miles an hour, and you think, oh, there's a new hospital being built. But as a kid, oh, you get in there, and you walk around those pipes that are coming up out of the cement, and you see wood, and you see iron, and you see plastic, and you see all kinds of tools, and you see stacks of resources, and everything in its constructive phase is amazing because when you see it that way, you cannot really envision the end product. It just looks like a mess. And see, this is why some people decide that one church is better than the other or I will go to this church but not that church is because they want to attend a church that looks like it's the most complete. And I understand that. But let me say this. This building is not what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. This building is a part of it. 
But what Jesus is building, and I mean this personally now, to you personally, what Jesus is building takes a long time. This is important. Because I want to go online and I'm going to get my degree tomorrow. And I want everyone to know me tomorrow. I want everyone to trust me tomorrow. I want to make my fortune tomorrow so that I can go live it the rest of my life. That's not real. And definitely when it comes to his... I mean, remember, uh, the Pharisees spoke back to Jesus when he said, I'll raise this temple up in three days. They They gave the truth. They said, this temple took... 46 years to build. You don't have to show me your hands, but how many of you realize that what Jesus began in you, he's not near finished yet? Some of you are very, very glad about that. Others are like, well, hey, now, I may not be who I'm all I'm going to be, but I'm sure not who I was. And we thank God for that also. But we don't want to put the construction site on hiatus. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes you go by, con- sometimes you go by construction sites and they are left empty for days, for weeks. There's no progress. You say, well, what happened? Maybe the resources ran out. Maybe all of the laborers went on strike. I don't know. Maybe there's something going on in the foundation or there's something going on that requires more investigation or things. But all to say, the work stops and months pass. Sometimes the work stops in a believer's life and God is not able to construct anything for years at a time. And 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, while buildings are are coming up everywhere around you, you're still this low, shallow, empty construction site that God began years ago, but because you never learned how to cooperate or because you looked for the fast answer, put me on the fast track, you've missed out on ultimately God building you in the way that only He can. We have to let Jesus the chief architect and the chief builder do what only he can do and build his church. It takes time. Would you just acknowledge for a moment, I'm a work in progress. And let me just say this. When it comes to Jesus building your life, He's not looking for suggestions either. In other words, that suggestion that you offered to him and the, the, the lack of action that heaven has taken in your life, don't think that he's up there considering your offer. You've misunderstood. He's up there waiting for you to obey the last thing he told you to do because when it comes to him building his church, he knows exactly how to do it. Am I doing okay so far? We're about to move forward now. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at our key text here. We began here last week. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says that you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You have been built. Jesus said, I will build my church. Can I just interject this thought and then we're going to move on? I always hear, and I know it's true, but we can't so overemphasize that we leave behind being built. I often hear Jesus will bless his church. Jesus will bless his church. Jesus will bless his church. And I believe he will bless his church. But in the midst of the blessing, we cannot forget he will build. What does that mean? That means hammers. That means chisels. That means saws. That means dust. That means being uncomfortable. See, we're all about Jesus will bless his church. I, and I am thankful too, I agree. But we cannot leave behind that Jesus said, I will build my church. And that is a process now. How many of you want Jesus to build your life to its maximum potential? How many of you would raise your other hand and say, Lord, do what only you can do? All right, most of you. And probably you as well through the internet. And we celebrate with what God is doing. I said most of you because I saw a few folks going, well. And I understand. That's a loaded question for sure. I'll give you another chance down the way. We're being built, verse 20, on the foundation. Now, how many of you realize if, if Jesus is building the church, he understands what a foundation is? The foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Here's what I want to emphasize. Do you remember when Jesus himself said, the wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man He built his house on the sand. Now, when it comes to building the church, we want to go with the wise man because that's Jesus. And unless the Lord builds the house, Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they who have built it labor in vain. Didn't say that it won't be built. Didn't say that they won't labor. Doesn't say that they won't get anything done. No, they can even build the house. You can build your life. But unless the Lord builds the house, it's in vain. Empty. Temporary. Fruitless. Hmm. I don't want any part of that. Because I want my life to count. But I also want to be a part of the church because it's the only thing that's being built in the earth that's going to last beyond the grave. You say, well, what is the difference between, other than the rock and the sand, what's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Watch this. They both heard the word. You read it. It's not as though the foolish man never had a chance. It's not like the foolish man didn't know what he was doing. The wise man and the foolish man both 
heard the word, but the wise man did something different. He obeyed it. That's it. Let me tell you, when Jesus is building his church, you can count on this. He's expecting everyone that he is including in the work as part of the building, he's expecting you to be built on the same foundation that he has built the church on because it is the word in obedience. Himself, the the mark and the standard of obedience as the chief cornerstone. Down in the south, I'm familiar a little bit with New Orleans because my family lived there for a while. New Orleans, and let's go ahead and say the whole world right now, is so far below sea level that when it comes to buildings being built on the soggy marshes of south Louisiana, did you know that some of those foundations go down 25, 30, and 40 Yards. They dig deep. Now, anytime Jesus digs a little bit in my life, it's uncomfortable. But what about when Jesus, the architect and the builder of the church, because he wants to include you in the church, has to dig deep? And he's got to put that shovel deeper and deeper into your flesh and deeper and deeper into your attitudes. Oh, I all of a sudden just felt like I was preaching to myself. Oh, Lord, help me, help me, help me. I'm right here with you. I I want Jesus to build me. I don't want to build a house that looks a whole lot like God, looks a whole lot like the church, but it's all in vain. Let's let Jesus build the house. But if he's going to be building the house and it's going to be upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and he himself, the chief cornerstone, you can count on him to get that foundation in place. It is going to require him to dig deep, but it's also going to require us who are being built on that foundation to not only hear the word, but be doers of the word. Because in him, the whole building is fitted together We looked at that a little bit last week. We'll look more here in just a few moments. We're being fitted together and we're growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also, that's us, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Can you imagine that God is building His church Joining us together with the intention of dwelling in our midst. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I'll be there. And the Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty to save, to heal, deliver, to restore. When we meet together, he said, I will inhabit your praises and I will meet you in the place where I have applied and pronounced my own name. When we come to church, I've I've heard it said, you've heard it said, but the church on its absolute worst day is a gajillion times better than the world on its best day. 
Why? Because God is in this place. And where God is, anything can happen. Would you go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? He's building his church. He's building his foundation. It takes a long time. And the materials that he is using to build his church is not like the construction site that I would walk through as a kid and pick up little uh, disc of uh, nickel and aluminum and throw them at my buddies, you know, and all of the wood and the pipes and iron. You know what Jesus is using to build his church? He's using what he calls living stones. Now watch this here. If you are to be a living stone, how many of you say, when Jesus builds his church, I want to be included in that church. I want to be a part of the building, the edifice that is a dwelling place for God in the earth. Yes? Then verse 1 of 1 Peter 2 is for us. Here it goes. Lay aside all malice. You say, I want to be a part, I want to be one of the living stones that Jesus builds into the church as a dwelling place of God. Lay aside all deceit. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop manipulating. Stop exaggerating. Stop stretching the truth. Start doing your taxes. Oh. Did that come out? Did I say that out loud? That just passed. I just, you know what I mean. Or whatever. No more deceit. No more hypocrisy. No more envy. Hypocrisy. One thing in public. Something altogether different behind closed doors. You say, well, it's not important. Nobody sees me. The architect and the builder who's looking for stones to use... He, he knows the whole picture. And, and he's not going to use stones that are, that are uh, full of hypocrisy. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not using stones that are perfect in themselves, but are perfect in him and whose hearts have been yielded to him so that at the moment of conviction, you are quick to turn and say, Lord, I repent of sin. I repent of disobedience, but I want you to reign in me as the Lord of my life and the head of the church of which I am honored to be a part. You follow all that? Okay, we've got to keep moving here. Put away all evil speaking. And verse 2 if you want to be one of the living stones that Jesus is using to build his church, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Now that doesn't mean if you've been saved for a long time that you no longer desire the pure milk. Milk is good. Milk does a body good. It does this body good. Even though you want the meat of the word, even though you want the deeper things of the word, you will never get past just needing the daily supply of the bread and the milk and the truth and even those simple revelations that keep the, the project of, of God shaping your life moving forward. 
Because we all understand, we've all experienced it. Even let's just say John 3.16, you heard it as a child, you memorized it as a child, you've taught other people, you've shared it with people, but the last time you read it, you saw something in that milk of the word that you never saw before. Why? Because it's alive and it's powerful. And the architect and builder who is shaping your life, he can take the simplest milk and build strong, fortified bones to make you strong in the midst of adversity. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Look at four, verse 4. And we are coming to him as to a living stone. He was rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Jesus said, I will build my Father's house. I will build my church. I will build a dwelling place for God in the earth. And he's using living stones to do it. You also are being built as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, would you look with me to verse 5, very specifically. You also, as living stones, are being built. Even though, Jesus, the architect and builder of his church, is gathering stones from every nationality, every creed, every tongue, every tribe, from all over the world and all over generations. Yes, know this. He personally works on every stone individually so that he might join us Corporately. But if you do not let Jesus change you privately, you will have tremendous difficulty fitting into his church publicly. I have a verse that I'd like to share. It's not in our lineup, so don't worry about this. But it's just something that came to my mind as I was praying this morning. And I'm just going to read it for you. This is in the building of Solomon's Temple. When it came time for Solomon to build the temple of of God, it says in verse 7 of 1 Kings 6. Are you ready? And the temple, when it was being built, was built with each stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. So for 46 years, every stone, before it was put in place publicly in the temple, it was shaped in private. You say, why? A number of reasons. These are not in order. God doesn't want to embarrass you. What does that mean? That leads to another purpose that the stones are prepared in private. Because 
where God found you, you need more help in being able to be fitly joined to his church. You need more help than could ever be offered you in public. Yet there are so many people in the church, they're saved, but because they do not know how to cooperate with the architect and the builder of the church in private, they are forever frustrated with the church in public because I don't get the help that I need. The help that you need is in private because God doesn't want the hammer and the chisel making all the noise just for you in a church service when he's requiring some things privately to go deeper in you than we could ever go deep for you in a service at the expense of everyone else. Here's another reason. Everybody okay? Another reason is because there are things that God needs to work out in us privately with a hammer and a chisel and other tools of his well-handed trade that require time without the exposure of comparisons. See, this is where the church gets mixed up. I want to be like that stone. Why does that stone get to shine so much? Why does that stone get the microphone? Why does that stone get this opportunity? I want to get that opportunity. Well, I'm that kind of a st- Listen, there are things that only Jesus can work out. And if we are constantly comparing ourselves, we will never find our place in the church. And probably many more reasons, but let's just leave it there. Back to 1 Peter 2. As living stones, he is working in each stone individually so that he can fitly join us publicly in his assembly. But all of it was done in the quarry so that when we actually come together, watch this, when we come together as living stones and we've allowed the architect and the builder of the church to work on us in private all week, we can spend this time together glorifying him and not complaining about what we just came through. It's a house of his glory. It's a house of his dwelling. You say, well, how do I know I'm going to fit? Trust the architect and the builder. But let me, let's go on and say this. I know I've brought this to your attention before, but in different places that I've traveled in the world, one primary experience has been in Mexico. Nothing against Mexico. I, I saw the same in um, Romania when Pastor Mike Solani and I were there. But Mexico's right there. You can quickly... Uh, understand what I'm talking about when there are many homes in places of Mexico where when you go into the house, you have to duck your head. 
it's, it's low. It, the, the threshold is low. The ceiling is low. The walls are crooked, meaning that the house goes this way. Many houses fall over. You could just walk by in a neighborhood and you will see a pile of bricks. And if you ask, what is that? The answer will be, that was a house. Why did it fall? Here's why. Because the stones that were used were not prepared. We found them in the earth. We dug them out of the earth. And sometimes the architect and builder looking for those stones, he digs deep because he wants to find you. And for some, he had to go through a lot of debris to bring you up and out. But thank God he got you on his work table. But the next phase in the construction site is to help get you ready so that when you fitly join within the other living stones of the church, he's not going to build something that's leaning that's going to soon fall over. He wants to build high. He wants to build strong. He wants to build enduring. And with us or without us, that's what he is building. He's not building a crooked church. And it's not a, a low threshold with a low ceiling. He's building high and strong so that he can shine hope to the whole world. Psalm 102. Are you ready for this? Some of you have seen this before. Psalm number 102. Let's just read. Let's begin in verse. Let's begin in verse 13. You will arise and have mercy, O God, on Zion. That is a word that you may relate to the church, the people of God. For the time to favor her, yes, even the set time has come. Look at verse 14. Are you ready? For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. You know what that says? That says when God has his hammer and his chisel and his saw and he's working on you, a stone that he wants to include in his church, the dust is gonna fly. But if you understand what he's doing, if you understand what he's building, and you desire to be a part of his church, then not only do you take pleasure in her stones, but you also favor the dust. If there's no dust flying in your life, it's very likely that you are not yielding to the edge-removing process. Because when God has found you, he's not going to leave you the way that he did because if he left all of us the way that he found us, he could never get his church to rise above the first level. And even in that, it's vulnerable to fall over if the big bad wolf comes and blows hard enough. But if Jesus, the architect and the builder, if he's the one that's building the house, you can count on him doing what's necessary to get... Are you, are you here? Every stone prepared. 
And we all raised our hands a few moments ago and said, I want to be included, and I want you to do what's necessary, Lord. And that is so uncomfortable. It takes time. It takes patience. There's pain involved. There's suffering involved. There's decisions involved. There's disciplines involved. But after all, what is he doing? He dug us out of the dirt of the world, and he's shaping us and preparing us and getting us ready to be fit into literally a house for the Almighty God to dwell in. There was a time, I'll close with this. There was a time when David complained to the prophet Nathan. 2 Samuel 7, you can read it later on. He said to the prophet, I live in a house made of fine cedar, marble and stone while God lives in a tent. He's talking about where the ark moved with. Nathan said, O king, do whatever in your heart. The Lord is with you. But when Nathan went off into a private place of prayer, God spoke to Nathan, and here is what he said. He said, go back and tell David this. Have I ever asked you to build me a house? In other words, if you were to read into it behind what he said, here's what he said. How are you going to build a house for the architect and the builder of galaxies? What kind of house can we build for him, Isaiah said? I mean, consider the most ornate, the ones that took 46 years years to build. God said, I'm not living there. Keep it. It's made out of rock. I'm looking for living stones. I'm looking for lives to build. Where is a house that you can build for me? Isaiah 66. Where is a place that you can provide where I can lay my feet to rest? For with my own hands, I've created everything. But to this one will I yield. And to this one alone will I incline my ear. To he who is of a broken contrite and humble spirit and he trembles at my word. This is the house that Jesus is building. Certainly we come together under brick and mortar. But friend, this is not the primary place where you as a living stone are being shaped and fitted and fashioned. Don't put that on your brothers. Don't put that on your parents. Don't put that on your pastor. I don't have what it takes to shape you. You need to meet with the God who made you in the privacy of your own deep 
convictions where he can tell you a truth that you absolutely flat foot cannot deny. And in that place, your acceptance or rejection will be expressly clear between you and the God who found you. We all say, I want to be a part of the church. And that is a great declaration. Jesus, he's looking for those who are willing to stay on the construction table as he prepares us to get fitly joined. What are we forfeiting? What are we forfeiting if we do not fitly join together? He said we're being built together as a habitation for God. Church, if we don't have unity, if we don't have stones that Jesus has put together, if we don't have fellowship, if we don't use those resources that are on the construction site to build the church together with Jesus, it's very possible we're building this house. It will be empty, and we have absolutely nothing but simply another 501c3 organization to offer to our generation, and they've had their fill of that. They need the presence of the living God who lives and dwells in the hearts of those who say, Lord, make me what you desire. You have been listening to a teaching from San Diego Christian Worship Center. For more information and additional resources, visit us online at worshipjc.com.